So all they had left was the home space and the church for the first 300 years of its history thrived like crazy. Uh, millions of people became Christians across the Roman Empire with no professional clergy, no buildings, just meeting in caves, banquet hall, wherever they could in homes. In my work as a pastor and pioneer of new things, I get to work with, coach, and learn from others, tilling soil, planting seeds, and praying for rain as we dig in and engage our communities for the mission of God. Join me as we share stories from the field in the Common Ground Podcast. You're listening to the Common Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Jalad, cultivator of fresh expressions here in North Georgia, where the tea is sweet and I might be a little bit salty. I'm here with my friend Michael, and you may know him, uh, Michael Beck, and his work with Fresh Expressions in Florida. Michael and I met, um, gosh, I don't even remember, a couple of years ago, I guess, um, at a Fresh Expressions event here in North Georgia, where we had a vision day that kind of introduces what fresh expressions are and um, kind of poses the question of what might be possible for reaching people that are not a part of our um, inherited models of church. Um, But um, we didn't really get to know each other until probably the last, I don't know, two, three years or something like that. Michael, why don't you introduce yourself? I call you Michael. I know some people call you Mike, but... (laughs) Um, Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got kind of involved in the whole movement of Fresh Expressions. Yeah, so my name is Michael Beck. I'm an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. And um, like Heather, I serve as the cultivator of Fresh Expressions for the Florida Conference and started as a district cultivator and then kind of grew into the the conference role. And there's a team of us now. Um, So I got into Fresh Expressions, basically, my whole ministry, I've been doing a form of it. And in the beginning, obviously, we didn't call it that. We didn't even know about the Fresh Expressions movement that it existed. Um, But we instinctually could see that that we were just sent to consecutive declining congregations. um, And as most congregations in the Methodist Church are in decline. And we just started following the spirit instinctually um we created at saint mark's a a fresh expression i would call it today for the recovery community called cpr and very quickly that was a a church based around recovery and 12-step principles within probably about six months that uh, worshiping community was bigger than the sunday morning worship services at the church so then we kind of just tried to do the same thing at every appointment that we've been to uh, since then, at Lock Lusa, we started a fresh expression in the Diane's Diner, the barbecue restaurant. Um, and then at Wildwood, we had Tattoo Parlor Church going and what today we call burritos and Bibles. We were just meeting in a, a Mo's Southwest Grill. And that's when um, I began to hear about the, the initiative of our conference. Uh, Bishop Carter and others went over to England and, and um learned about the movement and came back and really started setting a vision for it and, and the conference. So there's really kind of two narratives out there. There's the institutional narrative of, you know, uh, hierarchy leaders made a discovery and then turned it into an initiative for our state. Then there's the narrative of us pioneers who've been out in the field kind of doing it 
our whole ministry or some form of it. Um, and when those two things connected, it was like, oh, we're actually being being given permission to do this. I don't have to go rogue and yeah, um, feel like I'm, you know, yeah. So those two things kind of fused and then uh, the rest is kind of history. And I'll throw one more thing in there. Chris Becker came and met me at a at a coffee shop. In the beginning of the Florida Conference movement, I was not really involved in the conversation, to be honest with you. And I was kind of out on the edge, just doing my own thing uh, with the communities that I serve. And uh, Chris came and met with me in a, a Starbucks, which is his uh, mode of- I was gonna of say, tell everybody who Chris Backard is. Yeah, Chris Backard is the national director of the Fresh Expressions US movement. Um, so he's kind of, I like to call him the man behind the movement. And uh, he he is making these connections all over the across the country. And Fresh Expressions U.S. was really the one to contextualize the movement that started in the United Kingdom. By the way, uh, the Fresh Expression movement started in England. Really, mostly started to have. It was about a decade previous to, but in 2004, when the Mission Shaped Church report came out, it began to become a major initiative of uh, the Church of England and the British Methodist Church. Right. But Fresh Expressions U.S. was the first to contextualize that here in the United States. So Chris directs that. And he came and met with you in a Starbucks and what like precipitated this conversation? Oh, probably the things that we were doing uh, at that time, which was several Fresh Expressions. And at that time at Wildwood, we were starting to see revitalization happen in the in the traditional congregation. So we had several fresh expressions up and running and we were connecting with people outside the church and that was starting to have today what we call a bridge back effect where people were kind of spilling back into the inherited church and people in the inherited church were going out to cultivate fresh expressions so it started to be this what today we call a blended ecology we didn't have a language for it then yeah so you used um, a word so that a lot of he people was like, will, hey, uh, will kind of like dial in on like the whole revitalization of the existing church um it but i think it's important that everybody hear that it this is not to revitalize your church that's just uh a, a gift that god gives us in in return for being uh you know obedient and pioneering the 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 new places and spaces that god is working that we've not recognized in the past and that by virtue of those relationships um that, that there are those people that come back to into the life of the existing church. But I would say revitalization happens in the existing church as well. And the people that are are led out into um, cultivating this new ground for um, for fresh expressions. And then that kind of gives them a purpose and a mission beyond that, what they had seen before and what they'd understood before. Uh, and, you know, like we, we say, sometimes they're sitting in the pews going, is this all there is? Um, when God has gifted them and called them and sent them um, in ways that they aren't necessarily being deployed or, or recognized or affirmed in. Okay. So Chris sees you doing these things and invites you to have a cup of coffee with him. And, and then what? Yeah, and and to to just unpack a little bit more what you said there, and how I, I try to teach um, about the andness of this movement and um, the blended ecologies. Probably there, there's a mixed economy of church where there can be multiple modes of church kind of coexisting, fresh expressions, traditional forms. A blended ecology is a more intentional kind of grafting and tethering those organisms together. 
so that it actually creates a whole new organism, like a hybrid kind of church. Um, so I would say really, uh, and there's some confusion around this, honestly, in the movement, it's kind of a step beyond really a mixed economy. It's where those those organisms have learned to live together for a period of time. And like you just explained, there's that synergy of people going out and they're being awakened to their why, which is to share the love of Jesus in our communities, right? And and then people on the outside are being affected and then spilling back. And so there's that kind of, um, you know, what I like to call emergence, um, something self-organizing uh, grows up from the ground. And so I, I think it's really key what you said, that the Fresh Expressions is not about trying to revitalize your dying church. It's not the next saved denomination plan. But when you when churches do it, when when they really embrace it and start to plant these little new Christian communities, and that's the the other part of it, they usually do experience some kind of new form of life, or we would call it revitalization. But yeah, that, so um, there's another piece. Chris, we meet Starbucks, and he says, "Hey, come start doing some trainings for us." Or what I explore that. So we started doing that. What we call Vision Days, which you know all about now that you're a veteran Vision Day. Um, <laughs> teacher. Um, but then the other piece, so all this is simultaneously kind of happening. It's it's hard to even explain it really, but my district superintendent at the time, Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson, who's now the Bishop of North Georgia, yeah. um, she was my DS first, so I had her first. Um, and she, um, we had a meeting about uh, taking on a cultivator role for the district. And that was a pretty cool conversation because there at that point I was I was the first cultivator of fresh expressions in the United States. So we now have one in every district and hopefully conferences are going to start having at least one in every conference. But so the idea was, uh, what are you doing at Wildwood and how do you just kind of do that for the district and kind of spread that around to our 87 churches? Um, and there was no cultivator of fresh expressions, so there was no job description. There was no like idea of what are your office hours or what does one do as a cultivator of fresh expression. And that that term cultivator, just that agrarian ecology language, rather than these very corporate terms of director or whatever, um, cultivating something that's already there, life that's already happening and, and, and helping just kind of spread and platform that a little bit. Yeah, I think so you all of I... those things fuse together. I was going to say, I think you and I had a conversation at the beginning of me taking on this role about a year ago where I called you and I was like, what do I do with this? What do I do with this scenario? Like, and just really, you know, like you said, very organic, figuring it out as we go along and just trying to pay attention to uh, what God's putting in front of us. Right. Building the plane as we fly, yeah. as you like to say. Yeah. That's a lot of that which is great because that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. Um, Jesus didn't give them a step-by-step, -step, you know, playbook. He said, you're going to go from uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth, preach the gospel, make disciples. But as they did that, as they followed the spirit and needs emerged and the structures of the church and the, the formation of the church happened organically as they just tried to follow after what God was doing in the world. So I love that the Fresh Expressions movement is very much that. It's it's a re-experience of that. So you've got all these different 
fresh expressions that you've started out of Wildwood, um, some of which you started and some of which were started by some other people in your congregation. Um, what obviously different contexts, right? You've got a fresh expression in a dog park and a tattoo parlor, your um, burritos and Bibles, all different contexts. What does it look like to lift Jesus up in a tattoo parlor versus a dog park? That's a great question. And um, I think the most powerful thing about Fresh Expressions is the contextual nature, and it takes context seriously. And one of the great failures of uh, the the Western church, the Euro tribal church, which is very colonial, is this idea that you're going to go and colonize with your culture yeah. um, Christianity, right? Like we're going to go plant these churches uh, that look like us. And have. so this is really reversed. It's you get out in your community and you listen and uh, listening, loving and serving. We talk about those circles and you find out what God is already up to in a context. And, and the church, you, you plant the seeds of the gospel, but the church forms in an organic contextual way. So each one of those is really different. And I'll, I'll just tell some stories to give. There's some there's some similar um, strands I would say that happen each time, and it, it's Jesus' blueprint, Luke ten. You know, just understanding yourself as sent out uh, as teams. That no no heroic solo leadership. Uh, there's no room for that in fresh expression. And you said something that I'll try to come back to about in the beginning starting things and then almost burning myself out because I was an immature pioneer. Uh, who was trying to start all this stuff myself rather than uh, empowering teams and starting yeah. that way from the beginning. Um, so, but the person to peace say, you know, Adrian, the manager of Moe's that I had established a relationship with over time, wasn't a Christian when we started, became a Christian as we planted this church in the restaurant that he managed and took communion with us for the first time and started praying with us and encouraging his employees. So that's one kind of story. Uh, the tattoo parlor church, you know, people in our recovery community get tattoos. People, you know, get tattoos, period. It's mm -hmm. just a huge cultural. My daughter's uh, trying to keep up with you. <laughs> Y'all can't see Michael, she, but he's okay, got a yeah. few uh, tats of his own. <laughs> yeah. But really, they, yeah. they had. I had some. I was going to say they have a sacramental quality to them for sure, right? I mean, they sure. are truly an outward sign of an inward grace in what God's doing in someone's life. They can certainly have a sacramental quality. And they're certainly great conversation starters um, because people don't just, I, I shouldn't say uh, this like a broad sweeping statement, but generally people don't just get attacked for the heck of it. They are marking something. Um, by putting that on their body. Right. Yeah. So, so let me, let me camp out there a little bit and just tell you how uh, a contextual church forms up around tattoos. And um, so ta tattoos are an outward symbol of an inward grace and, and the sermonic conversation that happens at tattoo parlor church, which is a shift we have to make in the church. If we're going to have these contextual churches uh, is rather than the professional standing up and telling us what the Bible means it's paid to do that. The It's a conversation. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. Uh, it's not three points in a prayer. It's more, um, we're going to, you know, explore this together and everybody has an opportunity to contribute. 
So the, the sermonic conversation is around people's tattoos or why they don't have tattoos. Um, and people share the meaning uh, behind their tattoos, their tattoo stories. And that kind of is weaved together into the sermonic con uh, conversation that we kind of guide um, as people go back and get tattoos. And we have communion in the tattoo parlor. We openly worship Jesus in the tattoo parlor. We sing sometimes in the tattoo parlor uh, when it's appropriate. All of it is fully church. People are, you know, spilling their guts about things they've done wrong in the past week. And, and there's in churchy language, what we would call confession and repentance and transformation. All those things are happening. And when I started, I didn't necessarily go into it um, planning to get a bunch of tattoos, honestly. And this is a common uh, story with missionaries as you get converted to the people that you're sent to. In fact, I think there has to, that conversion has to happen first before real conversion can happen. Like we have to, we have to um, understand, listen, become one with our so-called other. Yeah. Um, and then in that exchange, realizing that God is already there and God is already part of this community and how do I become an incarnational part of this community? So I had some tattoos um, from my previous life, like a thug for life. Um, my kids always joke with me about this, but the thug pastor. And um, I had some other not too good tattoos on my body. So some of my tattoos were cover-ups and I planned to do that. But as I began to really love this community of people and say, you know, this is sacred. This is holy stuff we're doing here. And I'm, am I going to be a poser or am I going to be an incarnational presence in this community? Am I going to be one with them and explore Jesus together? And so I, I you know, um, I say this in, in my latest book, A Field Guide to Methodist Fresh Expressions, but that in the, in the early part of the church, um, stained glass windows were developed. They're called the poor man's Bible. Um, so people were illiterate. The, the vast majority of people are illiterate. So the, the stories in the stained glass told the story of Jesus and, and the Bible. So that's how people could, you know, learn and resonate with the, the stories of Jesus when you're illiterate. right? You, and, the, and the Bible wasn't even uh, in the common vernacular yet. So this is a form of that. Like, um, you know, stained glass was telling the Jesus story to a, a pre-Christian illiterate world. And we're telling the Jesus story in the stained glass on our arms and legs and bodies um, to a post-Christian world. And every time somebody asks a question about oh, what's that, you know, on your arm or what does that mean? It just opens this explosive conversation about Jesus and my past and where God took me from to where I am. And, uh, where, and so that just opens up these opportunities for evangelism. Right. I think it's so important for, you know, the reason I called this podcast Common Ground, why I am planting mm. what's called a Common Ground Network is that, that God is working in all of those spaces and people's lives before we ever get there, before they ever, we ever recognize that. And it, as you know, Wesley, as we talk about prevenient grace, that, you know, there's no place that we can go that God is not already um and it's it's recognizing that and um you know i guess thinking of yourself in the as a form of a cross-cultural missionary you could say i mean really if we're operating out of the 
the paradigm of the kingdom versus um, the paradigm of the world. Uh, we should be thinking um, and seeing things differently than perhaps uh, the people that we engage with on a on a daily basis. And so, how do you um, also recognize where God is working in those places and spaces where uh, you have the opportunity to build relationships and point out uh, the God that's already there? Um, in your conversations and in your relationships. So um, that's really the common ground that we're all called Mm -hmm. to cultivate, you know, whatever that looks like in our particular context uh, and, you know, and who you have relationships with. Um, So I'm, I'm curious. Um, I've said multiple times in, in recording my podcast, when I started out um, to plan this podcast, I never thought it would be launching in the middle of a global pandemic um, and 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 yet, um, what better time? Uh, because the church is really wrestling with what it means to be the church without a building, without uh, a weekly gathering in one place. Um, and so I'm curious what's really kind of um, getting your attention right now where you're finding common ground in a, a pandemic world. <laughs> Um, and I know that you're doing a lot of work in the digital space. So if you would talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And I, I want to just first say, Heather, I love the concept of common ground and the idea of um, a missionary starts by finding the common ground and finding yeah. uh, the common language so that we can translate. And um, we live in a divergent culture. So I love what you're doing because we see everybody and everything through the lens of different. Mm-hmm. And we live in a culture where we like to, to deconstruct and to look for the differences. Like you're this political view or this theology or whatever, or, you know, you get tattoos and I don't, whatever. And, and you're actually creating a culture of finding the commonness. Um, what, what, are, what are we alike? And if we can retrain ourselves as humans and as followers of Jesus, to see ourselves through the commonalities rather than the differences. Yeah. That's just so important. And as you've learned that as a missionary yourself, you know, planting dinner churches and mm-hmm. stuff. So that's just really, really important. It's unusual to look for and, agreements and in instead of arguments, right? <laughs> right, right. Which yeah. is what turns so many people off from the church, right? Because we can get that in the world and on social media or just turn on the news. Um, So yeah, I love what you're doing with that. And it it has been a challenge. I don't know that I have totally satisfying answers to this because I'm, we're really just trying to still figure it all out. But the fresh expression movement's all about finding the third place. And, and the, the sociologist Ray Oldenburg talks about first place, your home space, second place, school or work, Third place are neutral communal territory, places where people gather, usually around the common passion or practice. So all of our fresh expressions happen in places around practices. So Dog Park Church and Tattoo Parlor Church and Mo's Southwest Grill and Yoga, all those things. So this pandemic completely threw us for a loop because we all those spaces were shut down. Um, and some people had some fresh expressions going at their work. But you can't go to the tattoo parlor. It's still closed. You can't be in a small space, have 30 people packed into a tattoo parlor getting tattoos together. It's closed. You can't mm-hmm. go to Moe's Southwest Grill 
because they're only doing takeout. So we had to really pivot and think about, wow, what what is the third place in the digital world? And I would say more than most Christians uh, and churches in the institutional kind of, especially mainline church, we were using technology in profound ways. So we were set up for this because we were using Facebook and Twitter and um, meetups and those kind of things. But the, the goal of that was to connect people in a space together around the practice. Um, so Ryan Bolger is a missiologist out of Fuller, and he talks about practice movements. That's really a lot of what Fresh Expressions is about for us. Uh, people gather around to practice and the follower of Jesus living in community with not yet Christians and almost Christians. And maybe I'm Christian. I don't really know yet. <laughs> All of living together in community around the practice. So the third place for us, we've had to shift and think about, well, Acts 2, all they had in the beginning was the temple and the, and the dinner table. So they met at the temple, Acts 2, uh, praising God, and they met at their tables. And they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. So there's two places, if you will. Well, in 70 AD, they lost the temple space. It was destroyed by the Romans. So all they had left was the home space and the church for the first 300 years of its history thrived like crazy. Uh, millions of people became Christians across the Roman empire with no professional clergy, no buildings, just meeting in caves, banquet hall, wherever they could in homes. So we've, we've been thrown back into that early Christian world. And I love it. Um, mm-hmm. And rather than scra- scratching cave, caves on the wall, you know, fish on the wall of caves. Now we're, we're leaving our, our fish marks all over this digital space. Mm. And third, third space, third place can happen in digital space. We're learning that. Um, and I've been doing a lot of research and I know there's different ideas about this. And uh, obviously technology has its dark side. Um, mm. It rewires our brain. We can't pay attention. It's addictive. It, it, w- there's all kind of a gr- great research out there about how it is very, destructive in some ways but it also is totally neutral it's all about how you use it it's not technology itself that's evil it's it's the use of it and how we do that and can we set good boundaries and have sabbath and all that stuff which you and i are trying to figure out right now right but the 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 power of connectivity in the midst of it all is um that's undeniable the that um, what i've noticed in my congregation is folks who didn't have facebook or would never consider a FaceTime with their grandchildren or with their pastor to be real. Um, and I, I think in my book, I tried to get into this George and I's book to explore the work of sociologist Manuel Castells, who started to talk about real virtuality and that, that this idea of a distinction between virtual and real is not necessarily, um, it's a false dichotomy for emerging generations because their digital is real. And when you spend 10 hours on your screen a day, and you can, and I personally sustain really good, high quality relationships with people uh, across the country and even beyond. And, and I have good friends in the United Kingdom, my Fresh Expressions colleagues there, and we're, our relationships totally sustained by technology and it's real. It's not, not real. So we're, we're, we're planning a couple churches that are like uh, just completely digital. And we tried to, to take pause of praise. 
now we do that through Zoom where people bring their pets and their pets get involved and get up on the screens and do little tricks. <laughs> really, <laughs> the other and cats don't do well. Dogs are much better at it. <laughs> but um, the the thing, the other thing about fresh expressions is like what Verlin Fosner said: finding the sore spots in your community, yeah. finding finding the fragmentation and the brokenness. And the the greatest brokenness in the pandemic right now is the isolation. That's the the thing that people you know that's crushing us. So we can use those technologies to heal that. So supper table church is just us trying to take our dinner church where the dinner church need is really food. Mostly people right. need food and we can provide that in religion. Now it's people need a conversation. People need somebody outside their kids that they're now homeschooling. Amen to or that. Their spouse or amen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's healing that isolation. We're sitting down at a table. I like to think of it like the, 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 the table of Jesus Christ is, you know, connected across space and time with all Christians who've ever been. And we're sitting at the same table with Jesus at the head. And at Supper Table Church, we have our screen up at one of the chairs. And there's, you know, seven, eight other families participating. Mm-hmm. And we're, it's like we're all sitting at the same dinner table. That's and we beautiful. just started the last several weeks doing a theme. So we're all eating the same thing. So we had like Tex-Mex night. We had soup and sandwich night and Italian night. So it's like we're all... You know, although we're separate, we're together and sharing the meal and the Jesus story. So, yeah, I, I guess this is a really important question um, because people on the outside might think, "Man, that Michael Beck and that Wildwood Church—they are just going gangbusters with this Fresh Expressions thing." And um, I, I'm curious. What was a or when was the last time you failed at something, and what did you learn from that? Oh, that's good. I'm trying to think of which failure to to talk about <laughs> to share. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we we just have created a culture of failure, and and failure is expected, and it's okay. So most things that we've tried failed. Um, that's important to say. And, and, and we've been at Wildwood for nine years, I guess our ninth year going into it. And I would say, um, it is still on scale. It's a small percentage of people doing most of the work, Mm -hmm. both in the traditional realm and in the, the fresh expression Mm -hmm. realm, small handfuls of people that do a lot. Um, uh, you know, I, I could point to all the fresh expressions that have failed, and I'm wondering, like, are we going to be able to rekindle the community that we had at Tattoo Parlor Church? We haven't figured out a way to do that yeah. you know, digitally. So when when we can meet, um, are people going to want to go back for a significant period of time? Um, it, are, are, are these connections, are we failing to sustain them? Um, everybody in our fresh expression is, is not taking advantage of you know, the Zoom or the FaceTimes that right. we do or the whatever. So the community is kind of breaking apart. And I think my, my fear right now is how are we going to, will that ever come back together? Mm-hmm. Will that ever be healed? Mm-hmm. And um, personally, I guess the my biggest failure was just um, trying to do everything myself and exhausting the hell out of my people because yeah. I was an immature pioneer. So, you know, pioneers, we have this great gift of God 
where we see the next thing and the next vision or what could be. Um, and we're dreamers who do, right? That's right. the textbook of a of an England version pioneer. So we, we dream something and we do it, and that's a gift. But it also can just drain the life out of people because they're like, oh, now we're going over here. Now yeah. we got this idea. Now we got that idea. And I might relate like, with that oh, a little okay, bit. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might relate because some people lead. Yeah, exactly. Some people lead from the center, and they they have an entrepreneurial way where they can like create change in a system that exists. They do it from the center, and they work through the systems. Um, some of us do that from the edge. We lead from the edge by modeling an example. So right. we'll go, hey, check out what we're doing out here. It's amazing. Come and join us, rather than trying to to operate from that center. Both work and both are needed and valuable. Um, but I think in the beginning I was doing a lot, a too much um, next new things, starting things, and not enough empowering teams of people and helping people uh, have ideas that they want to bring to life and explore. S stepping back and releasing the creativity of others and growing fruit on their trees rather than trying to grow it on my own. So. I don't know. That's a whole mess of things that you said. If there is one thing that you wanted people to know about kind of finding and cultivating common ground um, or starting fresh expressions, what would it be? I know that's hard to pick one thing, but what, what would the one thing be? Yeah, there's so many um, important things. I think, the, the most important thing is that it has to start with the authentic mm -hmm. love of the people you're trying to reach. So don't just have a, a big idea or because it sounds cool or, um, you know, uh, there's a possibility there or whatever. Uh, that's not going to sustain you in the long haul. You have to really love and, and say, these people, God has called me. And you have to know that in yourself. That God has called me to reach this particular group of people. And if, if you're coming from that that place, then no matter how much you fail and no matter how challenging it is, you're going to be okay. And, and you're going to be yoked with Jesus and his yoke is light. Um, so, but if, if it's just the next, really, I guess it comes down to um, motivation and intention. If the intention of your heart is to share the love of Jesus with a group of people, and no matter what that cost or how, how much you fail, um, then you're going to be okay. But if the intention is, I need to save my dying church, or this looks like a really cool idea, I'll draw attention to myself, or those kind of things um, are not going to sustain you from the long haul. And I'll say one more thing. I know it's way too long of an answer. You have to, to you have to be okay with the small stuff. Like um, only six people showed up at the Fresh Expressions. Still, sometimes only. And I have to be okay with that. Like, um, if only six people come to supper table church, do I love them enough to, to stay in community with them? Or am I just trying to get 50 people in a, you know, Zoom room or whatever? So you have to be able to say, you know what? So-and-so stopped cussing as much as they used to. Or can you believe so-and-so stopped smoking cigarettes because they felt, uh, and I'm not judging anybody, but they just felt like the Holy Spirit was telling them they need to stop doing that. And celebrate those growths, those growth things. Yeah. And they're small, usually. 
what are you reading right now? What yeah, what's on your nightstand? What's what's got your attention? Oh boy, that's a big question. Um, so I'm I'm reading a lot. Um, I I just became a professor at United Seminary, so I now have access to the research database. And uh, my wife says I'm just a total nerd because I'll just sit there and read peer-reviewed scholarly publications all day. So I'm reading a lot about digital culture. I'm reading a lot about FaceTime and the benefits and the, um, just trying to understand tech, technological culture at a deeper level. But I will say um, what's on my night table is a lot of um, Manuel Castells has these massive volumes and I'm going back through those trying to understand his thinking at a deeper level. I've got some Gerald Arbuckle over there, uh, who's interestingly enough, um, a pioneer Catholic theologian. His book's called Refounding the Church. It's really, really good, Heather. Mm. You should read it. Okay. Um, and he's refounding actually, the church. I found out he refounding the church, Gerald Arbuckle, this renegade Catholic mm. uh, thinker and theologian calling for, uh, you know, uh, radical, um, what he calls dissent within like uh, dissenting within the system to bring change. So it's, it's really good. Um, but those are a couple of things. And, and, and I have, you know, some other projects going, but. My heart was strangely warmed when I made the trip to the UK and did the whole Wesley tour and discovered that Susanna Wesley was actually buried in a dissenter's cemetery. <laughs> so, um, mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for your time, Michael. I really appreciate you. I appreciate all the work that you're doing. I consider you my uh, my sensei. So um, thank you so much. And um, where can people get a hold of you? Where can they find you? Online, yeah. email? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I just, one of the things I did during quarantine was created a website myself. So it's not very good, but... Um, it's there failing okay. forward failing forward right michaeladambeck.com you can go on there and i'm trying to just have a central place where all my books and stuff are, are listed um, i would love for anybody listening to explore the potential of further education so at united seminary we're rolling out um, certificate programs and fresh expressions maybe feel called to be a pioneer and want to learn, but don't necessarily want to master divinity 96 credit hours. Hmm. Um, and then there's also an MDiv track uh, for fresh expressions that we're creating. So you could get your MDiv for those of you who are uh, doing that in with a focus in fresh expressions. And then right. obviously a doctor of ministry in this. Um, so that I'm starting in just a few months. So I'm looking forward That's to that. Right. You're Thank one you of the again. First pioneers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that um, very much. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to talk again. Um, appreciate you and God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.